Hey, 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 y'all. Welcome to the Graceful Truth Unscripted Podcast. I'm your host, Dana. We're here to speak truth in the most graceful way possible about our personal experiences that we've had throughout the foster care and adoption system. We're also going to cover some things we've encountered along the way. We don't sugarcoat anything. These are all real people telling their stories. This is a safe place. This is a place we're going to share our stories without feeling judgment, without being misunderstood, or really being turned into an agency for simply sharing our experiences. We're also going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to come together as one to figure out the best way to effectively change the legislation and the laws, and also ways to help our children. Our goal is to be the voice for those who can't speak. We're here to share our stories. We're here to share our realities. It's time to come together and be that voice for these children. So please join us as we embark on this journey. All right, guys, I am here with Roman, and uh, I am excited for you guys not only to hear his entire story, but for him to really share the ins and outs of what happens up where he is, because obviously I'm based in Florida, and he has similar Um, issues and similar experiences up where he's at. So I'm going to hand it over to Roman. Yep. So uh, I've been a foster parent since uh, June, 2018. Uh, Me and my wife got into foster care for the uh, last three years. We've been doing infertility treatments. And as a result, we've had five miscarriages, two of which were on back-to-back Christmases we spent about uh, over $100,000 out of pocket for that. We're still naturally trying, but we figured uh, foster, uh, primarily we're designated as foster to adopt. So basically starting a family in that sense, but we became licensed May 31st, 2018. And then June 1st, uh, we got our first placement, uh, sibling set. With that placement, we were told we were going to them right off the start. But we had them for a year, and the case moved to reunification, and they got reunified with their biological mom. And since then, we had have had 20 children. So I'm uh, stuck at home in quarantine with four uh, boys under six right now. But um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. All right. So with your first placement, it's always hard to ask this question, but did you agree with the reunification? Did it, was it just a bio mom or dad or both? It was a mom. There was no dad in the picture. Um, And basically We didn't at first, but she made the right steps. Seeing back in terms of all the other kids we've had, she made more steps than anyone else that we've had. I think the division of child services rushed it. The the person wanted to get all her cases kind of off her desk because she was transferring and kind of close them out. So I don't think the mom got the services she needed, nor the kids. We kind of, uh, you know, championed that to get services. They didn't have therapy uh, before reunification. I think that's an important thing. The system is often lacking because the kids are thrown in the system. They don't know why oftentimes. And then when they do go back, 
they go back in terms of in-person visits during the whole process as well. So that kind of takes them back. So we had the kids base back and like pee their pants or like pull down their pants on the playground behaviors they've never done. And we've gotten responses like, no, that's okay. That's their age. But it, it was clearly correlated to going back from where they were taken. So right. we didn't necessarily agree because for the, like, the selfish sense that we wanted to adopt them. I mean, they called us mom and dad and they loved them when we had them for a year. But from the sense of looking back in terms of everything she did, um, she did everything she was you know, told or accustomed to do. We may not agree with her parenting skills, but right. like I said, she did more uh, than other parents have with our other foster placements. And as far as I know, you know, they're still with her and healthy and taken care of. So, so you do you have communication with them at all? That first sibling group set. So basically, the 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 division of uh, child services encourages kind of bridging the gap, which is trying to make a conscious effort to kind of uh, be there for the biological parents, um, maybe give them extra time or a phone call or just trying to do as much as you can to kind of um, send the kids back and, and have them feel like you're actually trying to help them and not kind of their enemy. So we bridge the gap. We actually uh, let her see them on Christmas Eve, take Christmas pictures. We uh, met her up at Chuck E. Cheese for one of the boys' uh, uh, birthdays and there were other instances but because we were kind of making a lot of noise if you will or um, pointing things out to the caseworker the caseworker basically blatantly told her that we accused her of you know doing something basically it was uh he the one of the boys looked like he had like a burn mark on the back of his uh, back so what we said is you know, can we find out like where this happened and what this is? And she straight out went to the mom and said, hey, they're accusing you of burning him with an iron. So the relationship we built with her and it was two weeks prior to reunification. So prior to that, that, she listed us as a resource for when they get reunified so that we can be there for her. And uh, after that, she basically, um, messaged my wife and said all communication to go through the caseworker and, you know, I don't want to communicate with you anymore. And uh, when they got reunified, we thought that they moved away because she's originally originally from Chicago. And uh, we kind of took a month off to kind of regroup and recharge mentally and then started taking short-term placements. And then end of August of uh, 2019, we got another long-term placement. And with long-term placements, we all put them in the same daycare. So we show up to this daycare, and then we see the two boys in the window. We thought they were gone. She never responded to us. And from end of August to November, when she pulled them out of that school, we got to see them every day, which was both a blessing and a curse, and spend like a minute with them. And they said, I love you, and gave us a hug. And you know, we would talk to them for a minute or two. So that was kind of the highlight of our days for a few months. And then she removed them from that school uh, the day before Thanksgiving, this past Thanksgiving. And uh, we don't know the reason, but my wife has been just trying to kind of maintain communication and not right. kind of push her away and just be a resource. So every few weeks, she'll uh, you know message them, how are you guys doing? We're praying for you. If you ever need anything, feel free to reach out. If you actually reached out, 
a month ago and said, you know, the boys are asking about you. Let's, you know, meet up somewhere and they can see you and, you know, talk to you. And we arranged it. And because of this whole coronavirus thing, oh, yeah. two weeks ago, that those plans kind of fell through. So we're still oh, kind of there. And that, that's basically what happened with that first placement. Yeah, there's a light, at least that that door still open for that. Now, after that happened, did you guys decide to do short term placements because of what happened? Or did it just kind of happen that way? It it kind of happened that way, but it was like also kind of easing back into it. Mm-hmm. So we've had, I mean, our longest placement was those two boys for a year. Um, a placement we just got reunified March 3rd. We've had them since end of August. So that was around six months. And other ones were like a month, some were a week, two weeks. We've had respite care when, you know, you're kind of helping out mm-hmm. the division or other foster parents. We've had a sibling set that has been with us like nine or 10 times, the same two kids. They're with their biological uh, grandparents that they're going to be adopting them. But um, the grandparents sometimes need help or like a break because they are super young kids and Mm -hmm. they like coming to, to us. And they, I mean, it's sad because before leaving, they, you know, they tell us, we wish you can stay here forever and celebrate our birthday and this and that. So, we enjoy having them, but it's like one of those situations as well. And now you currently have four boys. Is that what you said under six? Yep. Uh, a sibling set, a six year old and a two and a half year old, and then a four and a half year old boy, and then a two year old boy. So four boys. Okay. Well, Lord bless you. <laughs> Thank, yeah, I, <laughs> I have this. one boy and he is enough. <laughs> yeah. With this whole quarantine self distancing or whatever, it's, it's like, it's a lot. So yeah, they didn't think about us parents when they did this. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to ask you a little bit about your history. So how did you come into wanting to go foster to adoption? Was it because you were because of your infertility or was it something that you always wanted to do, but wanted to have children first? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I don't know if I always wanted to do it. I think just making the decision to become foster parents was one of those things where it's something we never really thought about. I guess as a result of the situation we went through with the uh, infertility, but uh, just the designation of foster to adopt is based on if the option is open, they would go to to us first. So like with those boys, if we were just foster sometimes they wouldn't necessarily ask that foster home knowing that they're just a classification of just fostering. So when we're fostered or adopt, a lot of the time they look for children uh, to place with us that they know uh, parental rights are going to be terminated or it's most likely to do so. Now we haven't gotten any of those yet because there's been a lot of emergency placements that we've taken because (laughs) when you're a good foster home, you're kind of kind of on the top of the list. Yes. Get loaded up uh, in a way. Um, And we take children from our office because there's two offices in my county. One is um, the one we're part of south and then the north comes out of the state capital, which is Trenton. So that's more inner city and they have a lot more um, children being taken for certain situations they're in. So we alleviate that office. office. We've had out of uh, county placements and usually my wife will agree to it and then tell me about it. 
And then I'm kind of just <laughs> go along with it. Uh, funny situation. We had a respite placement and she said, okay, we're going to have one boy, but they ended up three. So it oh, one turned geez. into two, turned into three. That night we had five kids in our home, which was interesting, but it's just, it's just one of those things when you have a certain number of kids and you get used to the process and the schedule, it becomes a lot easier. So four or five, like for most people, it's much, but since we have a schedule and a routine, it's, it's hard, but it's manageable. Yeah. Cause you both, you all know what you're going to be doing mm-hmm. no matter who's coming in there, which is nice to have. And your support system, do you have, I mean, I know people obviously support you, but do you have like a close support system that you can talk to of people that are either foster or adoptive parents or are they not like, tell us a little bit about your support system. All right, guys, if you've known me for a hot minute, you know that five years ago, I made the switch to a toxin and chemical free home. And the company that I chose based on all my research was Young Living. And guys, yes, I've actually been to the farm, touched the plants, planted plants, and even saw the way that they just care about not just our plants, but the members us, the everyday people that purchase their products day in and day out and use their products day in and day out. So with this offer, you go to myyl.com backslash D-N-J Floyd, and that's F-L-O-Y-D. This will all be in the show notes. And when you purchase your premium starter kit through that link, you will be sent a thieves household cleaner which will last you about six months it lasts my family five to six months but we use it on everything floors windows steam mops cars we legit just use it on everything so again that website is myyl.com backslash dnj floyd and that is also in the show notes. So hop on over, pick your premium starter kit, and get yourself a free bottle of cleaner. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, so we have a family that we went through pride training for, which is here, like the, the class component of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have biological kids, and they foster as well. Uh, I think they're foster adopt uh, to adopt as well. Uh, one town over, so we're close with them. There's a lot of uh, foster families that we've done respite for each other that are kind of, uh, I guess, a lifeline. And then actually somebody from my childhood uh, became a foster parent at the same time, and they have kind of a a foster care adoptive support group through their church, and then they informally meet. So they invited me and my wife to that. And we kind of every every month, every other month, we kind of do that. And I think it's really important because a lot of people that don't do it don't necessarily understand it and are kind of just, you know, that's great what you do, but they don't understand kind of the day to days or the struggles or dealing with their reunification when, you know, you had your hopes on adopting the child right. or getting attached to the child and knowing that the child is going back to the same situation, which isn't favorable and having kind of caseworkers 
and other people in the system just say, oh, yeah, it's, it's more likely that they're going to end up back in the system and it'll probably come with you, which is not what I want because it means something bad has to have happened again to them or they mm-hmm. have, have had to have seen something bad. So it's just kind of situations like that, that people that, you know, don't foster or aren't, you know, uh, respite parents or foster to adopt don't necessarily understand kind of the day-to-day uh, struggles and and stuff like uh, you're getting a kid and you don't know necessarily what's wrong with them, what triggers them. Day-to-day, you have to figure out how to deal with each child different, differently based on what they went through, dealing with their resource worker, their guardian, their usually CASA worker, their nurse. Each of these people come monthly, bi-monthly, their visit situation, which they get pulled out of school, which disrupts their schoolwork, and all these other caveats that uh, mm-hmm. nobody really considers. Yeah, I remember our son, get he would get pulled out the middle of his school, and it would be just heck to get him back, because he never wanted to go. They'd have to pick him up and carry him to his visit, because unfortunately, these kids know no matter how young they are, and I think that's what people don't grasp is just because they're not, you know, 10, 11, 12, where they can kind of grasp the concept, they still know as a young kid. And that's kind of where the struggle lies with that. So let's talk about some of the struggles that you have with the system itself. Yeah, so I guess they, I think... Sugarcoating kind of the problem, I would rather have gotten a a really honest kind of scared straight approach when doing kind of the in-class training and not, you know, sugarcoated and, you know, everybody's here for everybody. When most of the time me and my wife had to facilitate everything, you know, the caseworker isn't around, nobody's around to answer a question or expedite something. And we have to take kind of the extra time because we actually care what happens to the kids to go above and beyond and schedule these things, schedule therapies, fight for different therapies and things like that. So I think just the the support from the division um, and understanding that a lot of the time when you are a good foster home, you're going to be in the dark because they're focusing either on the bad foster homes or like the, the toxic right. parents or like the negative. So when everything's good, it's like crickets around. You're doing your own thing and you may not hear from somebody even the caseworkers, if they know that you're a good home, they'll come like right at the end of the month for a few minutes just to check off that they visited for that month. So kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I I expected it to be more of like a collaborative effort. And uh, I mean, I still have hopes in terms of it one day being collaborative effort. I know each state is different state to state um, in Mm -hmm. terms of how it operates or their specific, uh, you know, child services division and the names of it. But uh, I would have liked to have been told that, you know, you, you're basically on your own in certain aspects of this process, which I still would have been okay with, but it was just kind of one of those things. And I think a lot of the time, caseworkers get a lot of, uh, get desensitized over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a stressful job. They have a lot of cases. They go in the field and see a lot of like, you know, crazy and traumatic things. So it's like one of those things where, uh, you know, somebody is a soldier or an officer, you get, get desensitized to seeing certain things. I mean, it's in the back of their mind and it may get triggered at some point, but they're used to seeing certain things. And we as foster parents aren't, you know, okay with that in terms of some of the stuff going on. 
uh, with the children and don't find it as a norm. And we're the ones kind of, uh, you know, putting up kind of the red flags where people would say, you know, that's normal or this, that, or the other. So, so your visits, you said they come only once a month. Yes. Caseworker comes once, once a month. It doesn't, they can come at any point. Right. Um, if it's, if it's convenient for, I've had when they came like the 30th of uh, one month to check off that month and then came the next day for the following <laughs> for the month. First. And then it's like basically two months of crickets. So. Well, that's, I know here in Florida when it's weekly, they have to see them weekly, whether it be at the daycare or here. And I remember our caseworker would just always come because it wasn't traumatic for her. She got to see the kids. She got to, you know, kind of relax and see how they're growing and what they're doing. Um, But ours was never like, we got these children as non-relative because I, I don't know how much you know about our story, but we were we were adoptive parents. Like, that's what we were licensed for. And we took in our son with the 95% chance that the mom's rights were going to be terminated. So that's the, really the only reason we did it, because I know me as a person, I can't deal with, the, you know, that separation and being reunified. But it's just, it's, they were here weekly. Not that they ever really (laughs) did much. Like I said, they came and just, she really kind of relaxed and, but she was more open too with the case. And then our classes, which were called map classes, they did kind of the same thing. They just ran you through scenarios saying, if you ever need anything, we're here. Um, Which is the same thing with adoption. And then they're not there. They're not there. So I think that that falls one with the amount of work that they have in their caseload, but there's also some laws that are kind of crazy to me anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's laws and then there's certain cases where, I mean, in every profession you have people that enjoy what they do and try to do it as best as possible. And then you have people that are just like, you know, skating and whatnot. I mean, it it is a government role, so there isn't much incentive like in the private sector where you get a bonus or automatic promotion. You're in a, you know, government pay scale. So oftentimes the job is almost guaranteed. It's it's hard to lose other job. I mean, I've had caseworkers say to me straight up, no matter what you say against me, I'm not going to get fired. So it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you're going at it with that attitude as well, I think that attitude is important. If you're already like combative and don't care what happens to you because you know, you're not going to get in trouble for anything. I mean, you're going to be kind of lackadaisical on, on cases and oftentimes let things slip through the crack and reunify either too early or reunify to, you know, back to the wrong, you know, situation or when they do, obviously when they're looking to place a children, a child back, when they get removed, they're looking for family members and friends from day one. So if they find somebody for them to take and, you know, they, they pass, it may be a situation that's worse than, you know, they're already established in a foster home or a foster to adopt home where it's a good situation. It's a loving home. It's safe, but they're being taken out of that and putting into, into a situation. Oftentimes the family members that they've never met either. So it's just one of these things where like you, you put a child in somewhere already and they're already like confused and then you confuse them even more. 
All right. And the last thing I'm going to ask you today, uh, if, if you feel like answering it is I know I've heard you say about pray. So obviously you believe, um, do you feel like your situation, um, was like God have had every little step throughout the, like, if you look over everything, do you feel like he guided you here to teach you a lesson or, you know, anything that stands out to you in that regard? I think it, it was like one of those things you don't expect to do, but you're meant to do and you're just thrown into it and uh, you're kind of thrown into a situation and you're, th- you're never thrown into situations you can't handle. You may think you can't handle them. And uh, I get as much out of the children as they do for me in terms of a safe home and, you know, being a loving, you know, father figure to them. I think I learn a lot of patience and in terms of kind of my business and how I interact with people, um, kind of appreciating life more and not being concerned about kind of the trivial things based on some situations these kids are coming from. I mean, I've had emergency responses that the children have came with, you know, two black eyes, a bloody nose. And then my wife took them to the hospital the next day. And then the, the nurse on call there basically said, Oh, I remember him. He was here six months ago for a fractured skull and the oh. child's only two years old. So it just like, it puts things into perspective and um, kind of focusing on what's important. And I mean, each kid has been a blessing and has taught me something different. And uh, I mean, it's still not even a year and we've had 20 kids and uh, looking back maybe two, three years ago, I don't, if you explain my situation now, I would probably tell you now lying, <laughs> but I think things fall into place and you end up where you're meant to be. Right. Well, I appreciate you so much for sharing your story. Um, obviously we will be praying for you. I mean, that's a lot to take in in a year, especially the way that um, it's kind of played out for you. Um, and I just, I thank you for spending your time with us today and talking about it. And I will link everybody to your website that way they can, you know, if they have any questions, whatnot, they can ask you and we do a Q and a every month as well. So we may get some questions for you. I'll send your way as well. But again, I just appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with this, this crazy foster world. (laughs) Now, my pleasure. I hope I uh, added some value to either people going through the same uh, situation, people trying to get into it. And I think it's important to share kind of the male perspective because a lot of the time you hear from a lot of foster moms and they're more vocal. So I just want to kind of uh, provide a voice for, you know, other foster dads out there as well. Yes. And I appreciate that because my husband doesn't like talking about it unless it's to me and and I get it, but it's also helpful to know that they're listening. I mean, we have dudes listening too. It's not just foster moms. We got dads out there too, that they need the support system as well, just as much as we do. Um, So I, I appreciate your perspective and coming on and I hope you have a very nice evening and I hope you survive those four boys (laughs) during this time. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Graceful Truth Unscripted podcast. Here's what I want you to do next. Take a screenshot of that episode you're listening to right now. Head on over to your Instagram or Facebook stories and tag Graceful Truth Unscripted so more people can find our podcast. Also, if you really love us, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. 
I will be reading as many reviews as I can on the next episode of the podcast, so be sure to listen for your shout out. If you haven't already, please click that subscribe button so you don't miss a show. And don't forget, if you have a question for the show, shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook or email gracefultruthunscripted at gmail.com. All right, y'all. Time to spread the sunshine wherever you go. See ya.